Yo, partnership alert, partnership alert, partnership alert. Living Corporate has a partnership with LinkedIn Learning, an American massive open online course provider that provides video courses taught by industry experts across a wide array of subjects. Now, the partnership is because Living Corporate has courses on LinkedIn Learning focused on diversity, equity, inclusion for leaders, career professionals, and anyone really looking to upskill themselves and be better allies. So make sure you check out our courses on LinkedIn Learning by clicking the link in the show notes. And let's just say you don't want to do that. You go to LinkedIn Learning on LinkedIn, search Living Corporate. We'll be right there. All right. Peace. What's up, y'all? It's Zach with Living Corporate. Look, I hope that your Labor Day break or weekend found you well. Hopefully, you were to take some time away from work. And it was interesting. A a colleague of mine reminded me uh, that rest is resistance. You know, rest is uh, the means by which we we push back against these systems that really just look for us to be cogs in a machine, to be producers of something. Right. Um, to just work, work, work. It's really part of like this exploitative system uh, that we've we have here. Capitalism, uh, especially late stage capitalism. Like we're not, you know, we continue to work harder and get fewer returns on that labor. And so, um, again, I want to shout out my colleague. I'm not going to say them by name because I didn't tell them I was going to shout them out. And I don't want them to feel put on the spot, uh, but they know who they are. Thank you very much for reminding me that that rest is resistance. I hope that everyone was able to find some rest. And if you haven't found rest, um, then to like still seek and find that, right? Like take the time off from your job, um, take your PTO, take your vacation, take your sick days, whatever the case is, the work will never go away. Right. And it's also easy to think that like, you know, this Labor Day break was enough for you and that you really aren't allowed to take more time off. That's not really true, right? Like this concept that we have to earn rest, that we have to work ourselves to a point of exhaustion or burnout to take a break is also toxic and not sustainable. It's actually a function of white supremacy culture. Again, like this idea that we just should produce and produce and produce and produce and produce and produce is not healthy at all. It is exploitative uh, at its core. Anyway, all that being said, I'm really excited about the conversation we had today uh, with Yvonne Hutchinson. Uh, Yvonne is an incredible person, entrepreneur thought leader, consultant, coach, educator, speaker, advocate, right? Um, wonderful, wonderful person. We had a very dynamic conversation. We're excited to get to it. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to tap in with Tristan and I'll see you back here in a second. What's going on, Living Corporate? It's Tristan. And I want to thank you for tapping back in with me as I provide some tips and advice for professionals. Today, I want to discuss four things you should take off your resume. There's tons of information out there about resumes and what should or shouldn't be on them. It can get quite confusing. The entire job search process is rather subjective, meaning the advice you're going to get really depends on the person you're speaking with or the person who is reviewing your document. With that being said, after reviewing over 5,000 resumes, I think there are a few universal things that you should remove from your document. Let's talk about what and why. First up are hobbies and interests, especially irrelevant ones. Let's be honest, recruiters and hiring managers don't care about how you spend your free time when they're first meeting you. They have tons of resumes to review and they just want to find the candidate that best fits the requirements. Also, think about it. If you list that you're into esports, but the person reviewing your document thinks esports are stupid, you've now opened yourself up to unnecessary scrutiny that can affect your chances of getting a call. Next is too many soft skills. Now, I'm not saying you can't include soft skills, but I find that most candidates overdo it, which can affect their credibility. While I recommend you focus on hard skills more than soft skills, make sure you demonstrate those soft skills you decide you want to highlight. So instead of saying you're good at multitasking, say something like led four projects, which drove a 15% increase in productivity. The third thing is an objective statement. 
Throughout the hiring process, recruiters and hiring managers are more concerned about their potential return on investment in you than your objective in finding a job. I suggest transitioning to a professional summary that showcases what makes you different in the work that you do and sets the tone for your document. The last thing I'm going to touch on is personal pronouns. I know it may be a surprise, but I still get quite a few resumes that make the mistake of using personal pronouns such as I, me, my, or we. Resumes are written in the first person without personal pronouns because everyone already knows it's your resume, so it's already implied that everything in the document is about you. I hope these fairly universal recommendations on what to remove from your resume can help you build an overall stronger document. This tip was brought to you by Tristan of Layfield Resume Consulting. Check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Layfield Resume, or connect with me, Tristan Layfield, on LinkedIn. Yvonne, what's going on? How you doing? I'm okay. How are you? I'm okay. I'm all right. You know, I realize like that's a super loaded question. Like I've mm-hmm. been asking people that past 18 months, just wild right here. But look, now I feel like, you know, a lot of stuff is going on. You know, I'd love to learn just what you've been focused on. You know, not just as the CEO and founder of Ready Set, this hot up and coming, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, you know, incredible venture raising millions of dollars. Like, <laughs> but also like White Vine as the individual, you know what I mean? Uh, just, you know, let's start there. Yeah. I mean, White Vine as the individual has had a wild uh, year. So I, in October 2019, I found out I was pregnant. So I obviously, yeah, very happy, very good news. And we were kind of chugging along and then March 2020 hit and, you know, as, uh, you know, as a person in the Bay Area, they were kind of really early in doing some things. And also as a pregnant person, I wanted to be super careful. So, you know, we went into quarantine and that sort of like just all of, you know, started the whole roller coaster of like having a baby during the pandemic leaving during the wildfires. My dad was diagnosed with cancer around the same time. And um, unfortunately, during the pandemic last year, I also lost my sister. Um, And at the same time, I was working on a book. And so, I mean, I feel like I say all this because, A, I want to be honest about the year that that I had, not because I'm looking for pity, but I feel like a lot of people had to navigate similar issues, traumas, and all of that stuff. And, you know, still not... (laughs) completely over things are better for sure and it's not even like things ever got really bad for me in the the grand scheme of things but mm. um it was a lot that's still trauma that's still trauma that's, yeah, that's yeah. still trauma yeah yeah and it was a uh, it was a lot um and there was also just a lot of instability associated with that and not quite knowing where we were going to do what place felt safe how we were going to reorganize our lives my husband me and our our daughter in this sort of new reality so now, first of all, uh, my condolences for your loss. I'm sure people say it all the time, but I mean that. You know, and it's, it's challenging, right? Like in these in those moments, like, mm-hmm. like, what do you say? It's like, I mean, that's you know, it's but I, but I, I certainly empathize um, with Trump. And then you you said about about your daughter being born. What so what what's her birthday? It is July 9th, twenty twenty. Okay, so Emery's birthday is March twenty fourth, twenty twenty. So I was trying to figure out. Oh yeah, we had them really. Yeah, yeah, kind of close together. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that was a season because, like, I remember. I mean, first of all, look, male privilege. I ain't not pushing no baby out of my body, but I do recall (laughs) being there for Candace and like I remember, like, we got in like the day before they like changed the rules. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so because you couldn't have anybody in the rooms in some places. Yeah, Yeah. right. So so like you know, I just got in there and it was. It was it was a lot. Like it was a lot, yeah. you know. And I can't I couldn't imagine I cannot imagine like if, you know, Candace had to do that all by herself, you know. Ooh. Like were you by were you by yourself? No, my husband was able to be with me. We got one person. Oh. We had a husband there and then I had a doula on the phone. Cause also like I was really scared as a black woman, you know, knowing what the maternity maternal mortality rates are for us. I was right. like, Oh, so word. So it's COVID. 
the maternal mortality rates bad to begin with. Like I need to be, I have to be a very good advocate and I need a team. You know what I mean? So I had like a black doula, a black OBGYN, you know, Mm. and I was really, really nervous about how I would be seen in that healthcare context if it was just me advocating for myself. Yo, when I tell you, I almost had to, like, so, you know, look, I'm a big dude. Is your husband a large man? He is a large man. Yes, yes, he is. Okay, so you're, so I'm sure, like, if he listens to this, right, he plays it back, like, he's going to say, you know, for black folks in general, right, irrespective of, of gender or, you know, represent like, identity or whatever, we don't really want to just show our ass, like, outside, you know, because, right. you know, it's right. just, you know, whatever. And mm-hmm. so I, but, and so, but I'm also going to speak as a black man who happens to be like a big dude. Like I'm six, two, I'm like, yeah, like I'm a big dude. Right. So it's yeah. like, I really try not to like show out in public. Cause you know, come on. Well, see my husband's a white passing Latino. So I was like, you show all of your ass in the room. Like oh, you show okay. ass. You say what I can't say because oh, I if see. I say it, okay, I'm gonna get bad. penalized. One hundred percent. No, but okay. you know what I'm saying. I got it. And I and I and I shouldn't have. I I I did not clarify that. So my bad. So your husband's wife passing. Okay, yeah, he should definitely show up. My bad. Um, <laughs> uh, my bad. I was trying to make a relationship, but it's cool. Um, yeah. I, I'm gonna still say, you know, for me, I'm like, I, I try not to do because I'm trying to like survive in this much. So anyway, mm-hmm. um, yeah, but I had to really real. show out. I had to show out though because really. My wife, so this is what happened. My wife shows, we go to the emergency room and she's, now we didn't notice at the time, but she, you know, she was like really further along in her labor, but like oh. everybody was kind of like walking by her, like she not Whoa. even pregnant. Right. So I'm over here like, Hey, yo, like I raised my voice. I was like, y'all need to get, y'all need to get a wheelchair right now. This da da da. And like some nurse, everybody stopped. Doctor, everybody. And they looked at her like, Oh, she's pregnant. I was like, she's not. Yes, yeah, she's in labor right now. So they get her back there. Wow. Right. So I had to like, because I had not been. I, I, who's to say what they were trying to put us in this long line? I was like, I was like, come mm-hmm. on, has, mm-hmm. come on. Like, no, nah, there's a yeah. human being in her trying to yeah. come out of here. So yeah. you know, they come, but they go back there and they measure. Like, oh, you're eight centimeters dilated. <gasps> right. Right. So I'm over here like, and she wasn't. She wasn't. Candace is a superhero. So she wasn't even like, you know, whatever. She wasn't. Yeah. She was very calm. And so for me, like, you know, and so we didn't know, we had no idea that she was that far along. But my Mm -hmm. point is, is like, even just like the lack of, you know, engagement, attention, attention. Right. And so anyway, I I just really, I empathize with that. Um, Yeah. You know, it's interesting, right? You, you talk about loss, like, your personal loss, you know, what are your thoughts about like <laughs> how everyone's framing? And I'm going to say everybody, cause everybody's doing it. <laughs> okay. Framing this whole, like they're framing the the need to focus around DEI around trauma, around the loss and murder of George Floyd. Like what, what does that do to you? Like just in all of who you are, like when you hear people say, well, you know, since the events of last summer, <laughs> Since and then yeah. folks like to say everything going on. That's like the that's like yeah. the key. Yeah. Like talk to me about like how do you how do you read like how do you process that and like what are your thoughts in those moments? Well, so I think in part, I think there's some real validity to centering trauma, and I want to be careful because there are different kinds of trauma. I think what's probably irking you is this the the centering of white trauma under the guise of. Like, like it's like black pain being a trigger for white trauma, right? Black trauma being used for white awakening. I think that's problematic. But I think that um, there is something very real about the fact that we as a society over the past 18 to 24 months have been going through a collective trauma. Now, that's not to say that there aren't other historical traumas that have been exacerbated and are continuing, you know, are contributing to this collective trauma. But I think we would be remiss. And I really actually worry about what happens when we fail to acknowledge and gloss over the extent to which we have all been collectively traumatized. That is why I talk so openly about my sister's death. That is why, you know, I talk so openly about what it was like to like 
give birth and be bedridden during this time because none of us should have had to live the way that we've had to live and survive what we had to survive, but we did. And we need DEI just for that, <laughs> right? So let's hold that. But then I think when, I think there is a risk when people say, hey, I was vicariously traumatized by watching George Floyd and now I realize how bad racism really is and I'm galvanized to do the work. I think what happened with the George Floyd murder was that for the first time as an audience, white people were vulnerable, meaning they were also trapped in their homes with everybody else. Their privilege, while resulting in lower rates of COVID in their communities, did not fully protect them from communities. And we were all living in fear and we all had the unknown. So we were all vulnerable in the way we never had before. And then we were a collective audience, right? Locked in our homes, refreshing Twitter and seeing this murder over and over again. So I feel like white people as an audience were in a place that they haven't been in a long time. Not since like the 1960s when they're watching riots on the TV screen, do I feel like white people as an audience were united in the pain that they were witnessing and having the catharsis associated with that. So I think that's real, but I think there's also some self-awareness that has to take place because George Floyd was a long, you know, uh, one person in a long line of Black people who had been, and Brown people who had been publicly murdered by the police. So to say that this is the thing that made you realize that maybe you shouldn't be doing microaggressions at work, I mean, doesn't really come off that well. <laughs> it's so, it's so, like, it's so eerie, right? And like yeah. people be people hit me up and be like, so saw George Floyd's murder, mm-hmm. made me think of you. I'm like, <laughs> well, why? Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. Part of me is torn, right? Like, I'm glad you've now realized, hey, maybe I need to check on my black friends who see this sh- shit every day. Um, you know, like, they, like part of me is like, okay, great. I'm glad you realized you need to check on your black friends. But then, like, it never, like, stops there, right? You, like, always end up being the one that comforts the white person, centers their awakening, centers all this shit. And it just, like, it felt grimy. And I think deep down, I don't know about you, but deep down, we all knew, at least I felt like, if it was just about you watching the murder of a black man on Twitter, somebody kneeling on his neck for eight minutes. That's what woke you up. I was like, you're probably going to go back to sleep pretty fast, you know, because it's not like, this is not the culmination of a lot of stuff. You're not, you know I mean? You, what it tells me is like, you were able to ignore the other things but you weren't able to ignore this, right? And, and it's because, so telling. Yeah, 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 yeah. It disrupted your comfort and you couldn't escape that disruption. So you had to do something about it. But the second your comfort is put back on the table, like, where does that leave me? I think like, and I think, I don't know if I've shared this before, but you know, like I was on a, it was right, like right after um, George Floyd was murdered. Like right after the the video mm-hmm. went out, and there was this white woman who hit me up, and she was like, "Hope everything's okay. I can't imagine how you feel." I was like, oh, why, "Why? Why can't you imagine how I feel? He's a human being. You're a human being." Mm-hmm. But then too, it's like, you know, this long, just very like mealy mouth text message, very awkward. And mm-hmm. what made it more awkward was this person was a former supervisor on a project I was on, and she had harmed me. She was racist. Ooh. Right. And so I prayed about like, I really, I prayed about like what to do like in that moment. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I decided in that moment to not respond because, yeah, you know, like th- th- she's not worth my labor, nor is she worth, worth my like yeah. raw response. Like that's a precious thing. Like yeah. raw, emo- right. raw emotion is important. It's, right. it's, it, it has a certain value, but I did decide to respond a couple of days later. And I just read her, you know what I'm saying? Like, like the alphabet, you know, like just let her know, like <laughs> A to Z, A to Z, yeah. you know, just like yeah. wildly inappropriate, completely tone deaf. You know, you need to connect the dots on your own behavior, blah, 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 blah. And even after that, um, in that moment, her reaction was something like, 
she wanted to blame shift to somebody else and oh my unconscious bias this and i didn't realize mm, that and, you know i hate I, unconscious bias Ugh. so 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 i share this to actually pivot right into <laughs> Good, good. Let's I go this, there. I share this to pivot into one. What what does DEI look like in a in in, a, in effectively addressing whiteness and the culture of the part of whiteness that seems to be incapable of being held accountable, right? Like I think, mm. like I'm I'm curious to get your perspective on like this concept of accountability, it's intersection with diversity, equity, inclusion. And like, as we look at like this decade, right, I'm thinking about this influx of Gen Z folks and frankly, a bunch of millennials who just don't care no more. Like we're growing less and less concerned with white gays. I've, I, in my opinion, I could be wrong. Um, I'm just curious, like, what do we do? Like, like, what is, like, what happens now? Like I said, as we yeah. think about accountability and the intersection with that in DEI. So I think I want to make a distinction here because I feel like there's whiteness and there's white supremacy, right? Okay. And I think mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, white supremacy is the willful ignorance. White supremacy is the unexamined privilege. White supremacy is the uh, apathy even around, you know, racism and harm. Fair. I think that's something that can be addressed. I don't really know. And this, I don't mean as a cop-out. But I don't know, like, when we say whiteness, what we mean by whiteness, right? Because it's, you know, I think about the way whiteness harms, and I don't know if I find, and I think there'll be plenty of people, particularly scholars, anti-racism scholars that may disagree, the concept, like, whiteness, I guess, is harmful in that it's, it's oppositional to blackness and, and as such is meant to be at the top of a racial hierarchy. But when we're talking about a collective group of people and a default identity i just you know i struggle to sort of just say there's a lot of nuance there yeah yeah yeah, i agree with you yeah so i say let's shift it like just for the purposes of my own brain to make it easier white supremacy how do we undo white supremacy inside of these organizations and i feel like you know i've always thought that it's about the reallocation of power and our relationship to it right i think that this is, I'm like getting hella theoretical on you just because I, I, Let's I go. guess I, I can. But when I was in, when I was in law school, I took a class on post-colonial African politics. And one thing they studied was like the, the politics of power and how people in post-colonial side, societies learned to exercise power against individuals. And they learned of power as a tool for harm, right? Because they had been dominated by people in power and their relationship with power had was just like domination, right? And so they replicated that. So if you look at like the ethnic conflicts, if you look at like, you know, there's a whole thing of African constitutional law. I'm not gonna do that. But like, if you look at some of the conflicts in Africa and the way that some of these dynamics have played out and Africa is a broad term, right? So I'm gonna acknowledge it's the most diverse continent on the planet. But if you look at how things have played out in some of these post-colonial countries, you see the people who've been oppressed do the oppressing because that's the relationship to power they know. And so when I think about how do we undo white supremacy, I think first of all, we have to reconfigure how we think of power inside of institutions. If I just go up to be CEO on the board so I can do what so-and-so does on the board, then I'm still replicating a white supremacist structure, regardless of whether or not the body I inhabit happens to be Black. But, you know, at the same time, like, we still need more Black bodies, more Black people, more people of all back, not all non-white backgrounds in these positions of power, right? So I think it's, it's a reallocation of power to a broader set of individuals and then a collective reimagination of what that power is actually supposed to do and how we act when we hold it. So that feels like. <laughs> no, 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 no. This is good. Okay. So it's interesting. I want to, let me double click on that, that part because it's not that last part, because I want to make sure I get like, and if, if you clarify, like, but I want to make sure I can understand. It sounds like you're talking about, reallocating power and reimagining how power is used, but not yeah. necessarily dismantling the systems and how we and where power is held. Would you say that's I mean, true? 
no, I think it's, I don't think it's an either or. I think you, I think in reimagining the system, you kind of dismantle the system because you have to do it with way with the old system right. to have the new system. Right. 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 Um, so I, yeah, I don't think it's an either or. And I, and I, and I want to be like, I, I think that, that, that we're sitting in the, the theoretical and, and I'm happy to, to stay here for a little bit, but I also want to move to the tactical because I think Same. that, you know what I mean? For me to be like, oh, we just got to like reimagine our relationship to power. You know? <laughs> it'd, be something good, it'd be something good though when you, in your bag, <laughs> you know what I mean? That, that's, hey, they be making money out here doing that. Just talking yeah. in theoretical frames, you know, get a yeah, yeah, we got to talk about like what that actually means and like how we actually do that. But um, yeah, so, so I just want to say that. But go ahead. What were you gonna say? No, no, no. So I think that's that's again like a just a good segue into like there there is an attitude around like and I think like it's just around scarcity mindset, which yeah, a lot of folks now and I'm I am also not a scholar. I got some PhD folks who would say, you know, that idea of scarcity is tied to the patriarchy, just tied to white supremacy. It's like this zero sum game of well, if you if when you say reallocation of power, you must mean you know let's kick out all the white executives. Yeah. Let's put some let's put some black folks in there, some black women in there, some trans non-binary folks in there, uh, some Latinx folks in there. Let's let's displace these people who have historically held these positions of power. Like you know, what is your response to like to that to that retort? Or to that fragility, frankly, of uh, and defensiveness, or even when people say, "Well, you're what? What is it? You're trying to take something from me?" Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, my I response mean, is, "Yeah, I am," but, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, like that's there's that saying, like, to people in power, equality looks like oppression or whatever, because it means it's, I, I, I think, like, you know, to some extent, it's true, right? You're gonna lose the privilege of being able to skate into a board seat, ideally, ideally. ideally you go maybe, maybe, you know, maybe of the like, maybe less than 41% of white students at Harvard will actually have earned their place there. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I guess it's more than because like, like, right now, there does need to be a shift when we think about and I'm not saying that we, that it, it's all a zero sum game. There are some things that I think are resources that are much more infinite than we imagine, right? When we think about where's their space for more entrepreneurship, and I don't want to be like capitalism will save us. But you know, we actually live in a very monopolistic society where a lot of sectors have been consolidated and things like innovation, entrepreneurship and, and everything on the decline, right? So when we look at what does it look like to have local community-driven entrepreneurship? What does it look like to like have more people that work for themselves or, you know what I mean? Like that, that to me is an infinite, is a, is a, is a resource that's less finite than we think. We think about all the capital floating around here. Again, I don't default to capitalism, but I know that there's a lot of rich people that keep asking like, oh, I don't even know where I'd put my money. I have so much money, right? <laughs> like they Yo, probably- Show me where they are at. So they can, oh, living corporate got stuff, bills to pay, all right? Well, you know, I don't know if you want their money, but hey, but, but you know- It's been the same. <laughs> always comes with strings attached but like but oh, yeah. i actually think that's a point it's like what does it look like to disrupt this system where you have so many like billionaires and millionaires making these decisions both within their sphere of corporate influence and within like the public and philanthropic sector about where capital goes and who gets what like what does it mean to more equitably distribute money and not have it keep accumulating with these few select people, I think that's a more um, infinite resource. Not that money's infinite, but you know. So I think it's like, it's, I think it's both. And I think, yeah, some people are going to have to like not have as much privilege because some of that privilege is rooted in domination and exclusion. And, you know, there are ways to think about this reallocation of power and expanding the pie that could benefit a lot more than just like minorities and and could actually benefit benefit all of us if we're really thinking about it so you know i don't know that's how that's how (laughs) i think i agree with you but (laughs) no it's helpful so so let me let me let me talk a little bit about ready set i mean we got to talk about at least a little little bit where did the term where did the idea of the name like where the name come from ready set I wanted uh, something that made people like feel like they wanted to act. You know what I mean? So I was like, yeah, I wanted to prompt action. So I almost want, I wanted people to like 
say, like, I wanted the anticipation of the word, right? So it's like, ready, set, and then like, let's go. Mm. So, yeah. It's it fire. A, yeah. Thank you. There's this idea. Nah, you're welcome. I, I think like, I don't know, like there's this, I am going to say this. This is my platform. I'm just trying to figure out how I say this. <laughs> Lord, I'm like, right. <laughs> Scared There's like writing. this thing of like these DEI firms sometimes that like they have like really corny names, right? That's all I'm. You don't. No, I'll say it because I don't. I'm not having a dog in this fight. I'm. I'm. We're a DEI media company. We're not a consultant firm. But I just yeah. think about like I don't know. It's like, and so I just what I like about it is that it's it's just it's not it's not corny because sometimes I'll be like, okay, I bet well, I, I yeah. bet I can tell what you do. Yeah, I did study naming a little bit. Like, I'm not good. Let me pull back the curtain. Like, I was like, okay, here's like what, because there are also trends and tech names and you could like, I was like, here's like what some of the trends and naming are. Here's some of the backlash. I don't want to name my company like, uh, actually, no, I can't. If I say it, I'm going to change somebody. So, <laughs> like, no, I, like, I didn't want the name to end like... in L-Y is what I was right. like. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no shade, no shade. No shade. No, no, it's cool. Love, love, love. Uh, so, because but it's like it's like when you see stuff like, I, now I hope this is not a company. I have not seen this, so I don't think that I'm shading anybody. But it's like if you do like inclusive, but like with two V's, oh, like yeah. like and you, mis, you yeah. misspell it, like you yeah, know, like that kind of yeah. stuff. It's like that's it's so cool. Yeah, somebody that. sent somebody sent me something. Somebody sent me something today. And that thing was called, it was a DEI some DEI company. I'm about to blast y'all now. Called respect respectability. No, <laughs> I said yo. If I could take that that? LinkedIn message, oh my gosh, I almost reacted. You should just like gently educate them on why that's. (laughs) Let me see, because no, because they DM me, because and it's been such a it's been such a week. I should think I might know. Okay, I need to shut my mouth because I might know that firm. Respect ability. So it's like it's respect ability. That's what I I put it together. I put it together. Mm. And so and so that's rough. And and here's the thing, it's inclusive of disability, right? So right. which is which is needed, which is needed, right? We should not engage anybody who is black or brown, and again intersected with any queer, disabled, mm-hmm. differently able, trans, whatever. Talking about some respectability, and I say, yo, that is great. Yeah. So you know, it's stuff. So that's interesting. I, I mean, I I like Ready Set because. You know, when I had Dr. Jampol on, I guess I was like a couple years ago now. Yeah. We had Dr. Yeah. Dr. Jampol on. Ready said just every time I say it, it makes me think like, ooh, like action. Yeah. That's I right. love that. That's so swag yeah. to me. Like, and it's just, and then Ready said, I mean, this is not an ad, y'all. Like, Dr. I mean, why Vine did not pay to come on here? But I, so, but I will say, like, what I like about Ready Set too is Ready Set then can like apply to so many different things. Mm-hmm. So like ready set could be like like a like a really hard like training play. Mm-hmm. You could do analysis. You could do right. You yeah. could do it research. It's just yeah. super cool in that way. It's like really it's like flexible, which I yeah. like. Living corporate. Well, I didn't think about that. I just thought about living single, which is like a super <laughs> dope show about black folks. Such a good be, being black, right? Yeah. And just living life. And as they right. were living life, stuff happened. I yeah. thought about that friends for living corporate. They were friends. Friends before they were friends, right? Mm-hmm. So, so that, so that's that's where I came from. I ain't really study naming or pre uh, post colonial uh, <laughs> societies. You know what I'm saying? Like, I ain't... Like, mm, let me just study. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So let's talk about Ready Set. Like, you know, as you look at, as you think about Ready Set, like y'all exist in this space that is, it's crowded, but it's not crowded at the same time, right? Right. So like in, yeah. from my perspective, I think about like there's a bunch of shops out there. Yeah. And something, you know, and I, I've, I've talked to I think I've had when I talked to Mary Francis of the Winners Group and Brittany Janae Harris of the Winners Group, I've like given this outline before. But I was talking to this other consultant mm-hmm. um, and I was like, look, I think there's like the spectrum. So like the spectrum is you think about like. Far right. Far right on the far right side, it's you know, diversity of thought over diversity of race. It's binary analysis of uh, representation. It's um, it's appeasing and really seeking to like keep of like 
like really like seeking white comfort, right? Mm-hmm. Or like seeking to maintain white comfort. Maybe even some of them consider white men a diversity group that we really need to serve and make sure that they feel engaged mm-hmm. and included. And then you have like the the left side of the spectrum, which is like really about like like much more like liberation type ethic, mm-hmm. um, focused on dismantling, reimagining. Um, mm-hmm. Even socialists, perhaps, in, in its in its, mm-hmm. and I recognize that Marxist is like this evil word now for some reason. I don't understand why, but whatever. Um, in its thinking, in in terms of alloc- in terms of resources and things of that nature, and like, where do you see Ready Set? You can't say the middle. Do not say the middle. I'm not gonna say the middle. All right, cool. Where do you see y'all existing, like in this moment today? And then, as you think about between yeah. now and 2030, where do y'all see y'all going, or or maybe even staying remaining? Yeah, I mean, I think it, the conversation's changing and like we want to evolve with the conversation. So that's first. In terms of that spectrum, um, you know, it's funny within Ready Set, we don't have people on the far right. Not at all. They wouldn't but, be here. <laughs> they wouldn't be here. They don't, because you know, Black people don't, like, right. we're not imagined <laughs> in that scenario. So you clearly can't work with me. Um, but I think that like, um, if I were to think about the spectrum within Ready Set, I think we have people who are very on the far left who are like, let's dismantle these structures of power. Da, 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 da. And I think that we have people that are slightly left of center. I would say as a firm, if like we're thinking of like there's the middle and then like there's three o'clock. Yeah. I would say Ready Set's probably at one to two, right? Like we're probably right in that and like center left. Um, all right, that's to the right. So let me just go, you know. I feel you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So we like kind of cut across, but I definitely think we lean a little bit more to the left. I think that what we try to do that we, you know, we say we center evidence. And I think in, in this way, it's really important that what the data tells us and what the evidence says is what we follow. And I strongly believe that when we, you do the research and you dig in, you're going to be pointed towards that leftist direction, right? Because like, when we think about academically how people work, how these organizations have been constructed, the historical legacy of slavery and, you know, white supremacy in terms of how we structure our corporations and our companies, if we want to undo the harm that has been done and where there's just deep historical roots, like we, like, you just got to go in that direction. You know what I mean? Like, I can't have a conversation with you about how to have your workplace be more equitable if we're not talking about anti-racism. I can't do it. There's just, there's literally no way, you know? And I can't have a conversation with you about gender if I'm not, if I'm not talking about non-binary, non-cis people, right? Like I can't do it. That is not the work. That is, uh, it's, you know, I get really um, impassioned about it because I actually think it's intellectually dishonest. Like when it is something that ignores what research says and privileges comfort, understanding the research itself is also biased, but privileges comfort over facts. And if you work Mm. in the realm of facts and history, then you have to understand that these are topics that you have to engage and you're not going to solve the problem. And at bottom, I'm a pragmatist. I'm here to solve problems. You're not going to solve the problem if you don't engage with the right facts in an intellectually honest way. (laughs) You know, of course I agree. I think that it's like, as I think about this space, right? Like, and you say like the conversation is evolving, like, what do you mean by that? Well, I mean, our expectations from work are really different. Um, And I think that when we think about, like, I think this actually goes back to the beginning of the conversation, the conversation about trauma and mental health. Like, I don't think we are, we have fully unpacked what COVID has done to us as a society, the depth of the psychological and physical harm, right? Like any sort of mass death event, like traumatizes society. And you also think about the deepening polarization and anger now, like it was one thing like for Republicans and and Democrats or whatever, for people to be angry with each other around racism and all that stuff and police and da 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 da. But like now it's like shots, vaccines and masks. And it's like very everyday real expressions of I'm privileging my comfort over your safety all day, every day, 
all day, every day. And so like the, the, the divide is just deepening and deepening and deepening. And at the same time, we haven't processed all of the death that we've experienced and like how we watched people die. We didn't grieve. We haven't had a collective moment of grief. I didn't get to go to my sister's funeral. I watched it on my iPhone as it cut in and out. I didn't see her body go into the ground. I still haven't visited her grave. There was no catharsis for me. You know what I mean? There was no goodbye. And that story is not, that's not unique to the country. And at the same time, you have these companies that are like, back to work, <laughs> you know? And like, people can't, we, I, I, I'm just worried about my daughter going to preschool and coming down with this deadly disease all the while my governor is, you know, saying don't wear masks and punish you if you wear masks. And the lieutenant governor is saying this epidemic would be over if only all the black people got vaccinated. Bro, when I tell you, first of all, yo, man, this is wild. Like Greg Abbott, bro, you are wilding. Wild, wild. You are wild. 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 wilding. The dereliction of duty is disturbing. It's disgusting. This is not a political conversation, but just the, 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 but look at how animated we are. And that's how the country is. You know, if people are saying you shouldn't be admitted to a hospital if you didn't get the vaccine, they should just let you die. And I've heard people say that, right? But these are the dynamics we're bringing into the workplace as well as like, I never want to go back to like commuting an hour to go into work. I don't want to deal with your microaggressions in the office. You know what I mean? All these studies about how black folks, black and brown folks aren't interested in returning to work like that. You just, there's just so much stuff we can't return to, period. Like, there's just no going back, you know? I think, like, it's just, I'll ask this as we wrap up, because I want to respect your time. We've been, you know, it's a, it's been a, it's Friday, you know what I mean? <laughs> let me, let me ask you this, right? You, you, you talk about not, this idea of not being able to return to yeah. what we return to. And, yeah. And I think I think I think in general, you know, people have been tweeting about this or writing about it, whatever. What I really think, shout out to shout out to the people who really be writing HBR HBR articles, and that's them people on Twitter. The people on Twitter <laughs> who don't have the PhDs mm-hmm. will dr- write some heat, and then somebody goes, hmm, and then they go and they write some fire. Anyway, shout out to the people on Twitter because I saw it first on Twitter, then I saw the HBR later. Is really like there's this awakening of people just realizing, hey yo, like I don't. I'm no longer going to be comfortable with these things, yeah. right? This season yeah. has uncovered the the fragility of life and, and also kind of ripped away some of the veneer. Yeah. That is the exploitative nature of capitalism. That's right. Yeah. And so yeah. like, I'm curious, like, as you look at your, the CEO already said, like, you're a black woman. You've we've as several others have, myself included in the season, experienced various levels of trauma. What do you see companies and corporations doing on matters of workplace equity, like in this decade? Like, do you have a positive outlook? I think it's I think that there is great in these times of like really large social unrest and tragedy, I think that's when we have the opportunity to change and to do something better. So I think Look, I mean, I feel sometimes I don't feel optimistic. Sometimes I think the the system's going to collapse in itself, and we're watching a empire in its death throes. But I also think that, like, maybe you know, maybe that's okay. And when we think about like what the future looks like, maybe we use this moment as a time to like build something back that's better than what we had. We knew these workplaces were harmful. We knew that the way that we were building and scaling, and I'm especially thinking about tech companies, was unsustainable and toxic. We knew the impacts social media and whatever we're having in society were going to be irreparable. We knew that like the bit, you know, four of the world's biggest corporations are responsible for 70% of like global emissions. We know that the way corporate America slash globally corporations are designed and structured is harmful, right? And so I think right now the question becomes, how do we leverage our power? Not unlike the way people had to do after the industrial revolution to get better rights for ourselves and the people we work with and to have companies that aren't polluting the planet, 
pushing people out of business and they're being responsible corporate citizens. I think there is a real opportunity to do that. I think there's an opportunity to do it on a global scale. And I think like we're seeing right now that like the decisions of the private sector and of these corporations have very big real world consequences, whether it's the radicalization of American politics and the American voter the spread of misinformation when it comes to vaccines and creating an environment where something like Delta can go in and wipe out whole populations, hoarding vaccines so that, like people in the third world don't get life-saving medicines. Like we're seeing right now that like it's not working. And if we keep going down this path, like it's almost assured it's going to be very tragic. So, you know, I think that there's an opportunity for us to build more responsible, better regulated companies that are liable for the harms that they inflict and feel the pressure and are also required to treat their workers better. I think we can have all of those things. Yeah, I agree. I think so too. (laughs) Um, Now, before I let you go, last question, shout outs and parting words. Shout out some parting words. Um, I would just like to shout out everybody who has been grinding and is still grinding. And what I mean by that, I don't mean like glorifying hustle culture, but like working on this very intense, emotionally laborious stuff, working on culture, working to benefit others, trying to lift up people um, during this really, really difficult time, right? Like doing the DEI work, doing the community building, doing NGO nonprofit work, doing public, just shout out to anybody working on equity right now. Like love to you and especially black and brown people who must work through our own trauma to benefit others. Like shout out to us because like we deserve it. Um, and Next. and then you know, I would like to shout out the team at Race. I love you all. Hey, <laughs> let's go, air horns right here. Let's go. Hey. <laughs> um, I would like to shout out my mama. I would oh. like to shout out. You know, I have a special shout out for Michelle Kim. I got um. Yo, shout out to Michelle Kim. We got to get her back. Yo, she is great. Do, 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 do. Yeah, she's a she's beep, a real beep, one. Beep. I, I also just saw Candace Morgan. I want to shout her out. I just she's such a sweetheart. Uh, um, she's over at Google Ventures right now. So shout out to to those oh, two. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, shout out to Joelle, who I know we're we're supposed to be competitors, but she has been so sweet throughout the pandemic. Checked on me when I was pregnant, and she was mm. just like. Yeah, she's a real one. She's a real, real one. Yeah, she's really great. And then uh, also shout out to Ellen Powell, who is a mentor of mine, who I just love, who's also just been really warm um, and checking in too. So shout out to those. Shout out to Erica Baker, who just got married. I just (laughs) shout out to her as well. Shout out to all the friends I forgot to mention. Yes, Um, I love it. Shout out to the chosen family. So that those are all of my shout outs, I guess. Should I be shouting out at anybody else? Shout, oh. shout out to God for putting me through. <laughs> yo, shout out to God, yo, for putting me here. I feel yeah. God in the chilies tonight. Yes. <laughs> I don't like to joke about the Lord, but every now and then he deserves his own shout outs and shout talk. out. Whatever oh higher gosh. power you believe in that's pulling Understood. us through. So shout so out. look, you're you know, you're a friend of the show we look forward to having you back y'all if y'all are not familiar with ready set check out the links in the show notes you know what i'm saying um and uh yeah can i do a quick plug plug on my book real quick i'll give it to me i also have a book coming out in uh january 2022 how to talk to your boss about race oh that mug is yeah 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 how to talk to your boss about race so you get the pre-order now mm-hmm. and then sometime closer to the actual book launch we'll come back you know what I'm saying? I love that. We'll, we'll do like a real thing. You give me the link and I'll show, you know, I'll make sure people, but no, hold on. You're going to give me a copy? For real, yo. You're going to yes. sign it? Okay. Yeah, for real. Yeah. Okay. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. I do want it. I would like one. Okay. 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 I'm going to one out of love. Okay. Okay. But I also would like one. Okay. 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 I got you. Like, it's it's so important 
I'll say this as we wrap is like, I love like us, we come together to really like share our knowledge and, and write. Like that's a powerful mm-hmm. thing. So mm-hmm. thank you for that. All right. Wavon, take care of yourself. Yes. All Can right. We'll catch you soon. <laughs> See you later. Take care. Peace. Bye-bye. All right, yo, shout out to Ready Set, shout out to Yvonne. Thank you so much for all of your your labor, all the work that you're doing, uh, the good fight that you're fighting. Um, this labor, y'all, especially around diversity, equity, inclusion, it, it never stops being exhausting. I think that's a reason that you always see these roles, you know, um, the people that hold these chief diversity officer roles, oftentimes they burn out, right? Like there's a rotating door every two to three years and you know, I, I still question just what does it look like to create longevity in these spaces while also creating impact because true impact in the in these spaces have to do with really dismantling and uh, imagining new systems. And I don't know if it's possible to do that over and over and over and not have some type of burnout just by the nature of the things that we're fighting. Um, I don't have a point of view there. I'm, I'm genuinely curious. I don't know what it looks like for for one to have longevity in this work. I know for me, uh, I continue to be energized by it. I don't see an end to it. Uh, but at the same time, I feel like a lot of people say that. And then, you know, they look up 6, 12, 18 months later and they're burnt out. They're tired. They're ready to stop. And so, you know, I, I'm curious about that. I really appreciate why Vaughn, her perspective on just like the DEI space and her frankness and talking through like where Ready Set um, is in this space. So. Um, with all that being said, yo, make sure you check out the links in the show notes, learn more about Ready, Set, learn more about our LinkedIn learning courses. All right. And uh, look, we're going to be here every single day with something new for your head top. Make sure you're checking out the leadership range. Make sure you're checking out Liberated Love Notes. The Break Rooms podcast should be launching here pretty soon. All right. So keep your eyes peeled for that. But we'll have more on that as time goes on. But just know. The rollout is coming. We're very excited about the break room in this next season. Excited for the access point. Shout out to Vonda Page with the group chat. And make sure if you haven't already, give us five stars on Apple Podcasts, right? So just live in corporate. You'll scroll to the bottom. It's going to say stars. Just press your little finger five. Don't do four. All right. Do give us five. All right. Uh, Till next time. This has been Zach. Catch y'all later. Peace. Living Corporate is a podcast by Living Corporate LLC. Our logo was designed by David Dawkins. Our theme music was produced by Ken Brown. Additional music production by Antoine Franklin for Musical Elevation. Post-production is handled by Jeremy Jackson. Got a topic suggestion? Email us at livingcorporatepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us online on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and living-corporate.com. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned.